0: Good morning. Good morning. It's looking a little thin here right now. I think the kids are half the congregation today. This is so good. So as our call to worship indicated and as uh, Anna also told us, today is Pentecost, a very significant day in the life of the church when we remember and celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Jesus' disciples after he died, rose from the dead, ascended back to heaven. He poured out his spirit, thereby establishing the church. And we want to celebrate and remember this critical event because it reminds us of God's powerful presence, his indwelling presence among us, which is necessary to build up the church, to glorify God and to make him known in the world. So a big part of God's powerful presence among us as we look at a couple of different texts today. um, The the topic of the Holy Spirit is something that we could study for a full semester and still not mind the depths of everything that God has for us there by his spirit. But we're gonna look at a couple of texts today uh, and I'm gonna talk specifically about a gift that he gives by his spirit, the gift of prophecy. And so it's one of the ways that he displays his powerful presence among us. So um, a couple, well, actually about a month ago, almost to the day, um, um, Marcy and I, we went up to Whistler for our denomination's uh, annual c- convention. And so prior to the to the AGM, which was preceded by a, a really powerful celebration and worship service on Friday night, the convention was Saturday. But Friday afternoon, we had a pastor's equipping day. And then after the convention, we had a pastor and spouse's retreat. Um, and so... Um, very, very powerful times of worship and God speaking to us through His Word through a couple of different servants who came up there, Brian Bueller and then David Short. It was amazing, like so encouraging and so uplifting and and so uh, building up uh, for our faith. But after one of uh, so Marcy and I are sitting at the front and we're worshiping and we're you know we're hearing the Word of God preached. And after the uh, that particular session, uh, another pastor's wife uh, who who uh, is from the Okanagan, came up to Marcy, I was with her, and she spoke a prophetic word over my wife. It was a very powerful and a very emotional moment and experience that was a true gift from God. I think it's exactly what she needed to hear, what I needed to hear said to her, and, uh, and we, it brought us both to tears, and it was actually very, very powerful. Uh, It was an experience that was a true gift from God and an experience, I might add, that is largely and sorely missing in the life of the church today. I believe that. So we're gonna talk about it a bit. Why don't we stand together? I'm gonna read two texts, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, which is repeated again. By the way, both of these passages are in and of themselves prophetic because prophecy builds on prophecy. God's word given, spoken again, which applies not just for a time a millennia past, but a time now. And so this is, uh, this is really cool. We're gonna go to Joel chapter two first and read verses uh, 28 to 32. All right. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will, shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape. As the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. And then I'm going to go over to Acts chapter 2, where we see this prophecy, the second part of it fulfilled. Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and filled the entire house where they were sitting, And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, Belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytites, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all, who were, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, man of Judah, Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And here's Peter's interpretation of that prophecy. If you read them, they're not exact, but this is is his interpretation of what Joel said. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Go ahead and have a seat. The reading of God's holy and inspired word. I want to make four observations about the outpouring of God's spirit on this Pentecost Sunday from these uh, two texts. First of all, God gave his spirit in the last days. It's important to understand what we're talking about here So let's go back to Joel. And it shall come to pass afterward. You see, this prophecy had uh, its roots in a time, around the time of Joel. I'm gonna talk about this a little bit. But uh, Joel is not talking about that time when God literally poured out his spirit so that his people could return. And that there could could be uh, uh, a revival in the land which was necessary, uh, could only happen with an outpouring of God's spirit. But he wasn't talking about that time ultimately. He said, after that, there will come a time when I will pour out my spirit in all flesh. And Peter then picks up on this. He said, and in the last days. See, this is the interpretation of the afterward part. In the last days, specifically, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. What are the last days? What is this other time that Joel was referring to other than the immediate context or the historical time of the people of God in the Old Testament? I wanna wanna just very briefly give you three uh, overall movements of history. History has a ton of movements, but these are three very broad strokes, okay? So you see creation from when God um, created the heavens, the earth, everything in them, ultimately people, man and woman. And so from creation all the way to Bethlehem, to the birth of Jesus is kind of one big period of history. And then things changed with the birth of Jesus. So Bethlehem, to which many of those prophecies pointed to Jesus, his birth, his death, his resurrection. From Bethlehem to Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is rooted in the number uh, 50. It's 50 days after Easter, can you believe it? We are in the seventh Sunday since Easter. Time is flying, isn't it? So, 50 days after Easter, God pours out His uh, Spirit, and so from Pentecost, sorry, from Bethlehem to Pentecost, we see the you know the work of Jesus, the Son, primarily, uh, God the Son, Jesus, um, and and the last days are beginning to emerge. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom. And he's pointing people in that direction. He fulfills the will of God by going to the cross and securing our salvation with his sacrifice there, the shedding of his blood. And then he ascends and he pours out his spirit. And from Pentecost forward is the beginning of the last days. We are in the last days, all right? So let me explain Revelation to you very quickly the way I understand it. There's a lot of people who interpret Revelation the book of Revelation, dispensationally. So that means that dispensationalists, they they chop up the book of Revelation as there's this period of time and this period of time and this period of time and this period of time, and and then the Lord will return. I think Revelation is actually, it could be be, uh, given the title. If you want to imagine Revelation as a drama. So you go to a play, and you know the curtain rises and there's scene one curtain drops, little break, curtain rises, scene two. That's the way I like to envision the book of Revelation. All of it, the play could be called The Last Days. And then you've got the final scene, which is the, um, the very end of the age, and then you have the great and glorious day of the Lord when the Lord returns, and that's where the curtain falls. Okay, if you can think of Revelation that way. Each scene is not a different dispensation. It, it is all pointed to the last days, which we're in. And it's just describing in different um, acts of the drama what's unfolding in the last days. Okay, there's Revelation in a nutshell. We should preach the Revelation sometime, I think. I'm going to have to put that bug in Pastor Matt's ear. It is a wonderful study. Anyway, verse 20 of our text in Acts says, the day of the Lord, uh, which is, so you got the last days, and then he he talks about the day of the Lord, which is, uh, according to Peter, the great and magnificent, or some other translations say the great and glorious day of the Lord. Joel says the great and very awesome day of the Lord. It's gonna be awesome (laughs) when Jesus comes back. When we get to see him face to face, that's what our faith is all That's what we long for, to see our Savior, to be with him. That's why he saved us, that we might glorify him and live with him eternally, right? A great and an awesome day. Right before that day is this short period called the end of the age. Okay, so here's a summary. Last days, we're in them. The end of the age, short period of really things intensifying. And trust me, within this, there's lots of different interpretations of Scripture about, you know, the tribulation and about the return of the Lord and about the millennium and all that kind of stuff. But we're not going to go there today. And then you've got, uh, the end, so last days, end of the age, and then the day of the Lord. He appears. All right? So we are in the last days. We're in them. And that means that prophecy continues. I was taught, where I went to Bible school, by some of my conservative, dispensational professors, whom I loved dearly, the solid, godly, biblical men, but I disagree with them, who said, who told me, that some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit ended when the apostles died. So, after the apostolic era, where you've got, you know, Judas was replaced, you got the 12, you've got Paul, who kinda came in after the fact, you know, when all of them were gone, certain things disappeared, like tongues and prophecy. I don't believe that. I just don't believe it. You see, because the last days did not end when the original apostles who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus died. Didn't, the last days didn't end. They're still continuing. And the last days will end when Jesus returns. The great and glorious and awesome day of the Lord, right after the end of the age. And until that time happens, prophecy continues. It has to. Because God isn't finished speaking. Because some people have never heard. So there were, and and there's other reasons why I believe this biblically. Because in the New Testament, there were more prophets than just the original 12 plus Paul. I mean, in the book of Acts, you've got a guy named Agabus you've got a guy named Barnabas, you have four women, four girls, from the city of Philippi who were prophesying. Why would Ephesians chapter four be still in our Bibles, which talks about a five-fold ministry of the church, that God gave the, these gifts, these ministries, these people to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, to build up the body and, uh, uh, so that they can equip the body so that we can do works of service and continue to speak in the name of Christ and to build up the body of Christ to do what she is asked to do, and that is to make Christ known in the world. Why would that Ephesians 4 still be in our Bible? Why would 1 Corinthians 12 still be in our Bible, which is a major uh, chapter on uh, spiritual gifts and a lot of it about the gift of prophecy? Why would it be there? A lot of churches, sadly, have reduced the five-fold ministry to the, uh, uh, you know, of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They've reduced them to the five-fold ministry of the pastor. It's not good. Um, I'm all worked up today. Back in the day, little story. I was invited by uh, our denomination's mission um, organization. It was called MB Mission back in the day actually Mennonite Brethren Missions and Services International, then it was MB Mission, then it was Multiply, and I don't care what it's called. We, just, we plant churches and we share the gospel. <laughs> That's what it's about, okay? We have missionaries and church planters. So they invited me to serve the missionaries in Latin America. So they had a, they have a, hold a retreat once a year in a different area of the world. So they invited me to the Latin American one. So it was all of our missionaries in Central and South America and some of the little countries in the oceans around there. So Um, we we gathered for a week in northern Peru right at the border of Ecuador. It was one of the most powerful weeks of my entire life. Because I heard, saw, witnessed the work of the Holy Spirit like I had never heard or experienced before. It was amazing. The kind of stuff that makes the hair just stand up on the back of your neck if I had any, that's what would happen. (laughs) All right. Every morning and every evening we heard two three testimonies of of missionaries from these places who were you know God was raising the people from the dead through them. And people were coming to faith and it was like it was people being healed. We got no doctors within hours of walking distance to some of these places. What are you going to do? They said we don't call the doctor. We pray. We, we trust the work of the Holy Spirit. Like that life is in his hands and if he's gonna heal him, he'll heal him. If not, we're just gonna pray because there's no other option. And they witness so many healings and people coming to faith in Christ. So uh, better be careful how many stories I tell. You got your timer on your oven set to maybe a little bit past 12 today? <laughs> anyway, uh, Johannes Reimer was invited as a, a guy, a teacher from Germany uh, who, um, who is a very powerful man, very sp- uh, spirit-filled man, incredible Bible teacher. Um, he, he planted, uh, together with a team of, of uh, people, planted a church in Germany that was considered a graveyard for churches. He was told, do not go there. And he said, well, then that's exactly where we need to go because they need the gospel. It's a very dark place. And so, um, by the way, when he came and spoke to us, uh, that was discerned as well in the spirit by a a discernment team he has because he receives more invitations to speak than there are days in the year around the world. So his discernment team receives all of his invitations. They pray about where he should go, and he listens to them. You go there. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And so he came to Peru from Germany, flew straight in, did his teaching, flew back. He said, when we planted the church in Germany there, we formed a leadership team, elders, of 10 people. We had two apostles, two prophets, two two evangelists, two pastors, and two teachers. The teachers taught. The pastors did pastoral care and shepherding. The evangelists led the charge with reaching people for Jesus. And by the way, these all work together. There's no silos. The apostles, they pointed the direction, this is what we should be doing. It was the prophets who said, this is what we think God is saying to us and what we should be doing. And the apostles took over and said, we're going to go there. None of them were paid. All of the money that was given through donations and through... um, See, another thing this church did, they had only one paid staff person, which eventually was more, but it was an administrative role. They ran an employment center, a food bank, a clothing center. People in the church, could, in the community would come to the church to have their needs met and to find jobs. So this church literally, instead of paying their pastors, don't, don't tell anyone this because I love my salary, <laughs> instead of paying their, their, their leaders, who all had different jobs, uh, they would put money into the community and into these kinds of outreach ministries. And they literally, they bought the gas station, they bought the grocery store, they bought all of—they it not to make profit, but to give people jobs and to, to give them produce, um, goods at fair value. And the leaders of this community, went, you know, they would come to this, the, the elders of the church regularly, the mayor and whatnot, and say, please do not close your doors because if you leave, this town is hooped. And the Holy Spirit did some amazing work because they functioned the way He designed. All of that to say prophecy is still important. Billy Graham, though, he said this. So it's going to be on there. <clears throat> As we study the Bible, the work of God the Father is especially emphasized in the Old Testament. Billy Graham wrote a book called The Holy Spirit. I think I'll trust what he said. The work of God the Son is emphasized in the Gospels from the day of Pentecost to today, however, the emphasis is on the work of God the Holy Spirit. We have to get in tune with the work of God the Holy Spirit because he is the critical piece in the last days. Secondly, God gave his spirit lavishly, lavishly. So Joel 2.28 says this, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will sprinkle my spirit on all flesh. No, it does not say that. Thank you for correcting me. (laughs) And it shall come to pass afterwards, in the last days, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. If you study this word, it is a gush. It is a flow. If you look at at how the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is symbolized throughout scripture, it is an outpouring. Sometimes of water, of a downpour of rain, refreshing rain that causes things to grow and flourish so that people can thrive economically, thrive physically. Sometimes it is an outpouring upon a, a leader who is anointed for God's role by the power of the Holy Spirit with an outpouring of oil upon their head, which symbolizes the anointing, the unity of of the people, all of that kind of stuff, all of the things that are a work of the Spirit, God has now poured out in the last days on all flesh. I want to summarize the entire chapter of Joel 2 really quick. See, the part that we read, 28 to 30. Uh, thirty two is preceded by a pretty a pretty dire situation. Joel actually talks about the day of the Lord, which is this great and awesome day of the Lord, a day that uh, comes like a thief. Who can endure it? It's a powerful day, a day of reckoning because people didn't know him and God was pouring out his wrath upon his people because they had strayed from him so far. And there was this great and awesome day of the Lord when he showed up and he called people to account. And then after that, there's a section that goes up to verse 11, literally says here, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome, who can endure it? Then in verses 12 through 17, you see people returning to the Lord. And that's what happens when God's spirit is poured out. People repent. They return to the Lord and they say, we can't do it our way because it's not getting us very far. We gotta do it the Lord's way. And people started to return to the Lord. And then we see in verses 18 uh, through 27 that people, the Lord had pity and he, and he had mercy and he saved them. He didn't destroy them. And he brought them back. Um, Verse 23, this is key. It's before the passage I read at the beginning. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. It's the same word poured out as I will pour out my spirit. And when people return to the Lord... He poured out rain and it said the threshing floors will be full of grain. The vats will overflow with wine and oil. I'm going to restore everything that the locusts have eaten. You shall eat plenty and be satisfied. You're going to praise the name of the Lord your God and I will be in your midst. And then he says, oh, and afterwards, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. That's today. Today. God wants to replicate exactly what he did in the days of Joel today. And he wants to do it through us and in the power of his Holy Spirit that people might be saved, come to a place of abundance and refreshing, repentance and faith and trust that they would return to the Lord. They would bow before him and that he would bless them with everything that they need. That's what God wants today and that's why he gave his spirit and that's why prophecy is so important to declare what God wants for his people. And we all know, reflecting which seems so long ago now to November and December, we all know what an overabundance of rain can do. (laughs) It's powerful. There's no stopping it. There's nothing that can contain it or hold it. You think about the abundance of God's Spirit poured out, it's unstoppable. God wants the banks to overflow, He wants His abundance to be poured out upon His people so that others can come to know Him and experience Him. And so, with that in mind, I'm kind of jealous of Peter's first sermon that he preached. He was hanging out with 120 people and there wasn't a lot of growth to that point. And all of a sudden he preaches a sermon that was far shorter than the time I've already been up here. And 3,000 people were saved. I think about the first sermon I preached, it was pathetic. (laughs) You know, all the people nodded and smiled and they affirmed me. And here I am, you know, 30 years later, (laughs) by the grace of God... I think back to that and go, oh man, it's all the work of his spirit. I long for the day when the 120 of us to 180 of us that kind of float in and out of here on a week by week basis would be so filled with the Holy Spirit that soon we would just have to go to another service and another service and people would be lined up out the door to get into this place to hear the word of God and Harrison would be full and Lake Eric would be full. And at the end of this service, I'm going to pray for a fresh outpouring and anointing of the Holy Spirit. So get ready for it. God wants to use you. He wants to be lavish with you. Ezekiel 36, another major covenant and prophecy about Pentecost and about the Holy Spirit is another picture of Joel. I I scanned it briefly and I came up with my usual alliteration. It was a place of desolation destruction and dispersion hopeless god said i want to put my spirit turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh i want you to stop le- living legalistically and i want to pour my spirit into your heart and when i grip your heart you'll come to a place of repentance and renewal and rebuilding and restoration that's ezekiel 36 is there a dryness this morning, a desolation, even a destruction in your life? You need a fresh filling and anointing of God's spirit today. And I'm gonna pray for you later too. Now when the Holy Spirit was poured out, some really unusual things happened <laughs> in Acts chapter two. Things that needed some explanation. Nobody knew what was going on with these tongues and all these languages that were being speaking. Like what? This guy's like from... These are like Galileans or whatever, and they're speaking like my language from Africa. Like, what's this? And so Peter explained it, and his explanation was not just an explanation in the moment because they were accused of being drunk, and he goes, no, it's like only about 9 in the morning. Now, some people do drink at 9 in the morning, so just so that we're not mistaken... When, when the Jewish people were gathered for worship, they actually abstained from all food and water until they were done at about noon. So these guys hadn't been drinking anything, <laughs> let alone water. So Peter said, no, nope. it's not new wine that got them, got their tongue, it's the spirit. And here's why. And he gave a biblical explanation from the book of Joel. He interpreted Joel. I want to quote Billy Graham again. He goes on to say in his book, The Holy Spirit, my sole concern has been to see what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter did. The Bible, which I believe the Holy Spirit inspired, is our only trustworthy source and any reliable analysis of the person and work of the Holy Spirit must be biblically based. He goes on to say, we may feel that it is such a vast subject and we know so little about the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, God in his word has revealed all we should know. And then one more quote. It is extremely important to declare what the Bible holds and be silent where the Bible is silent. That'll do us well, all right? That's our commitment at Central. It's my commitment to you. So he gave these explanations, but I want to make an observation before we move on. What are the two most controversial gifts of the Spirit today? Tongues and prophecy. Prophecy. I just want you to note that those were the two that were evident, seen, and explained first for the church. What's missing? Um, Paul said we should desire both. He said, I wish you'd all speak in tongues like I do. Now he gave, this isn't a sermon about tongues, so you're gonna have to do some scriptural study on your own, we'll talk, I've talked about it before there's ways to exercise the gift of tongues that is edifying to the church, okay? Um, Paul said, however, I'll come back to this later, I wish that you would all prophesy because prophesy is edifying to the whole church. Everybody always understands what you're saying and that's why prophecy is the greater gift but certain types of tongues, not your private prayer language tongue in your closet, but the one that's done publicly in the church or in the public square should always be interpreted and understood by the listener. And it is a type of prophecy, as are signs and wonders. It's God speaking. So that's why I'm, I'm um, focusing the most on prophecy, because those ones fall under, fall under that umbrella. But that's my observation. Could it be that if these gifts utilized biblically and faithfully are also the most effective in the church, just a question I'm asking. So, God poured out His Spirit lavishly. He poured, He gave His Spirit lavishly. He poured it out, and He also gave it on all flesh. That's lavish as well, because it wasn't so much before that. But Moses said, Numbers 11:29. He said, would that all the Lord's people were prophets. Why does it have to be just me speaking, Lord? (laughs) Like That's what Moses is saying. I'm just like, I wish all people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. In the Old Testament, it wasn't that way. God gave his spirit very randomly and selectively, not randomly, selectively to some people, not everyone, for a specific time, for a specific purpose, to a specific person. The Spirit would come and go, but not in the New Testament where he would pour out his Spirit on all of his people. All. The Old Testament people of God, they longed for our reality. They longed for it. And the Lord does not discriminate. All flesh means all flesh. It means men and women. It means old and young one of the ways that the holy spirit now works in this post pentecost period as i said is he gives gifts to his church as he determines as he wills and he doesn't discriminate let's move on number 3 god gave his spirit loudly I don't, I, i'm a good alliterist and i didn't know how else to say this but it really is true he gave it loudly and what i mean by that is he made a statement but it actually was loud. Verbally, physically, sounds that were, that drew people in to amazement what is going on here. So I'm gonna put the passages back up here, but I'm just gonna, instead of reading them word for word again, I just wanna point out certain words. From Joel, your sons and daughters will prophesy, that's speaking, dream dreams, see visions, I will show wonders. Acts chapter two, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all in one place. Suddenly, the sound of a mighty rushing wind filled the entire house. Tongues of fire appeared. The Spirit began to speak. People began to speak in the Holy Spirit in other tongues. And it says in verse 6, Acts 2, at this sound, a multitude came together. They were bewildered. But Peter, standing with the other 11, he lifted up his voice like he, he, his sermon was loud. I mean, there was lots of people there. 3,000 got saved. Those are just the ones that got saved. It's probably a crowd of who knows what, 5, six 6,000? Who knows? And then he explains again, Joel, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men shall see visions. Young men will dream dreams. They will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens and signs on the earth. Rushing wind, fire, tongues, raised voices, prophecy, dreams, visions, wonders, signs. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was and still is about God getting his message of the good news out there as loudly and as forcibly and as quickly and as noticeably as possible. Why do we remain silent? And I'm guilty too. It's not what God wants. He wants everyone to know who he is and he uses us by his Holy Spirit. At other times, God spoke quietly or Jesus spoke in parables that people didn't understand or he spoke in other veiled ways but not now. And the message was Jesus saves. So let's explore a little bit in particular this gift of prophecy because it's this umbrella gift. Lloyd Ogilvie said this, the gift of prophecy is neither a permanent endowment nor a private possession. It is equipment for ministry. We are to seek the giver, the spirit, get in over our heads in ministry. I love that. Do things that we are freaked right out to do. And then ask God for and become equipped with, a, with prophetic power. Yeah. Step out. Seek prophetic power. And God will just work through you in amazing ways. So this gift of prophecy, if any of you think (laughs) that I'm off base, you're going to have to take the issue up with God. Because in this book, there are 1,817 prophecies. 80% of those have already been fulfilled. So, many of them regarding Christ's birth alone. Um, Many of those, by the way, accompanied by dreams and visions. Isaiah, John the Revelator, Jacob had a vision of the angels descending and ascending on a ladder in and out of heaven. A vision, a dream regarding Christ a vision to Joseph, a vision to Mary in Egypt, visions to Zechariah and Elizabeth, to Simeon, and they all spoke, they all prophesied. 1,817, at the time that the Bible was written, 27% of this Bible, 27% of the content is prophetic, which is described as pre-written history, and as I said, over 80% of that has already come true. So the fact fulfilled prophecy of scripture is a major apologetic to the existence of God and the historical reality of the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Sit down and talk to a person and show them how in specific and very accurate detail, 80% of those 1817 prophecies have already come true. They're historical. It points, it demonstrates the divine inspiration of Scripture and substantiates the perfect truthfulness of the Word of God. So, what is prophecy? Well, first of all, it's just one method of God getting his message out there. Um, there's there's many other ways he, he does this, but God speaks directly. The scriptures attest to this. He speaks through dreams, visions, he speaks through whatever way. This is prophecy to get his message out there. He used a donkey. If God can use a donkey, he can use me. He can use you. Yeah, somebody, one person chuckled. Come on. You know what God will also use if we keep our mouths shut? The stones. He'll do it. Stones. The rocks will cry out if if you keep silent, Jesus said. That would be so cool. <laughs> Walk, walking along, I listen to rock starts talk and be like, <laughs> "Say what?" But it's also devastating because it means that nobody else is speaking. Let's not let the rocks cry out. They will if we remain silent. So God has so much to say. Prophecy is two words: pro and "fe-me. Pro means before. Femi means to speak, so it means to speak before you speak. It happens, but there are two elements to prophecy. There is the foretelling, which is a futuristic element, but there's the forthtelling about what God already said. What I'm doing this morning is prophetic. I am forthtelling. I am preaching. I'm speaking. For God, which I take very seriously. That's why I don't ever want to say anything that are not God's words. So thank you for correcting me, Bill, when he said when I said (laughs) that God sprinkled his spirit. I did that on purpose. He poured out his spirit. Every word matters. A prophet was, is God's mouthpiece. He or she speaks for God and gives his message. Sometimes the future, other times it concerned the present or even the past. Sometimes it just simply contained doctrinal truth about God. And prophecy has always been used to either encourage or to confront, to warn, to heal, to regulate, but it was always God's message spoken forth. The Spirit had to be involved. Um, uh, People had to be influenced divinely by the Spirit as they spoke His words. And none of that has changed And because God has primarily spoken through his written word, all prophecies from this point on must never be contrary to the written word of God, ever. Prophecy always points back to, and it is built upon prophecy. This was true even for Peter. Peter had to substantiate what was happening with scripture. So prophecies must agree with the apostles' teaching, But I believe, now hear this very carefully, that there can be new prophecy, not in terms of new doctrine or new revelation of God, but in terms of, in context, the affirmation or the application of existing prophecy and doctrine for the practical functioning of the church or the edification of a specific person. but we need to substantiate with scripture. Now, I want to read a verse for you from 1 Thessalonians 5. And this is in the context of a normal functioning church in the New Testament. Paul said, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Now, evil can be our moral actions But I think a form of evil in this context is actually speaking something for God that is not His word. That's evil. And so, when you have a dream about someone, which is a good thing, it happens to me on occasion, and and it's happened to others about me. There have people that have come to me and said, "Hey, Ellen, like had a dream about you." It happens to my wife about me. No, it does. She said, oh, then I had a dream about you, then she'll ask me about it, right? When that happens, it needs to be tested and discerned. So, was it the loaded pizza that I ate at 11 (laughs) p.m.? I have all kinds of dreams when I eat that late at night. (laughs) Or is God really trying to send a message through me to someone? So, discern it, first of all by yourself. Don't just have a dream and go share it with the church, okay? Or share it even with that person. Not a good idea. Go to scripture, pray, then call upon some other trusted spiritual people. The elders of the church would be fantastic people to call say, hey, this is what I think God is saying to the church or to this person. Can you help me pray about that and discern that with me? Scripturally and practically. I, one time, was invited to speak at Redbury Bible Camp in Saskatchewan, and it was a last-minute invitation, and I was not at all prepared, but God really showed up that week and blessed uh, my efforts. (laughs) It was him speaking, and believe it or not, it was about the fire that fell from heaven to consume the prophets of Baal, you know, all of that stuff, or... Uh, who was it? Elijah poured, you know, the water all over all these things. It was amazing. I lit fire in an indoor building <laughs> by having fire fall from heaven. It was just awesome. The Holy Spirit came down and poof, and the kids were impressed. Nonetheless, <laughs> the lead up to that was this camp speaker that week phoned up the director where they were having a chat. The director phoned him to say, hey, we're still on track for your speaking. What's going on? And in the course of conversation, the speaker said that he had separated from his wife because God had told him that he needed to leave her. He needed to divorce his wife. And he's like, excuse me? You did not hear that from God. And number two, you are not speaking to our children. Period. Then he called me. I'm like, oh boy. Now I got some work to do. But it was an amazing week. So... God speaks in dreams. In fact, I would say that this uh, method of revelation, so to speak, is increasing more and more around the world, especially in uh, Muslim regions uh, where people are coming to Christ simply because Jesus will show up to them in a vision or a dream and reveal himself that way. Numbers 12, verse 6. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to Him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. So and also while there's no age or, or gender barrier, there is an indication of age distinction. Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. I'm trying to decide on which side of that hill I am. <laughs> I'm getting old, too old to be a visionary. maybe I 'll just just leave it to dreaming dreams. But I, I think the old guys that have been there and done that are the ones who are still like, they're just deeply spiritual and mature and they hear things and they, they sense what, what God wants to be done and then they go to the young man and they, the young man will see visions and they're gonna put some wheels on the bus. You know what I mean? Like I think that's how this, this works in the church. But uh, nonetheless, and it's happened at Central, even with the planting of our, our campuses around the lower mainland It's as a result of visions and dreams, some of it. Where prophets go wrong, no interpretation, no discernment, they get arrogant or full of pride because they think their gift is the greatest. It's greater than tongues, but it is not the greatest. The greatest is love. And how we um, use our gifts has to be with great humility and great care A, words about, a word about signs and wonders before we land this plane here. We've got to pay attention to signs and wonders. Joel talked about it. Peter talked about it. Peter wrote about it in 2 Peter 3. Jesus talked about it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All pretty much the same idea. Revelation talks about signs and wonders a lot. But the thing is we should Jesus said, you should never seek a sign or a wonder because then only the sign of Jonah will be given to you but when God, when you seek the Lord, the giver of the gifts and the giver of the the vision or the dream or the sign or the wonder then, then and we pay attention to what he's already given then then that's what God wants we, if we seek the sign, he won't give it. But when we seek God, he will give signs. And when we give signs, we keep seeking God in it. That's the purpose. So Peter talks specifically in his letter to the church, in 2 Peter 3, again, about the last days, the end of the age, about the sun turning dark, the moon turning red, the earth being burned up. There's lots of smoke involved. How many times, even in the last two years, In the media, have reporters talked about, boy, that sure looks apocalyptic. So much smoke in the air that you can't see the sun. The moon literally looks red because of the burning. Peter said, before the day of the Lord, the earth and all of its elements are going to be laid bare. They're going to melt in the heat. Friends, you look around at what's going on in the world, and God is speaking more loudly than ever before. I think fires, floods, earthquakes, diseases, natural disasters, wars, we have to wake up because God is speaking. And last of all, gave, God gave his spirit lovingly. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors, shall be those whom the Lord calls. The ultimate purpose of Pentecost and prophecy is salvation. God saves us because he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And God, and God the son accomplished the will of the father. And when Jesus went back, the father and the son both sent the spirit to continue all that Jesus began to do and to teach in effecting his plan of salvation for us. And in Joel, we see this beautiful two-way call. We see God calling us. We see God calling people in the world through prophecy, through dreams, visions, signs, and wonders. He's speaking so that people can respond and call upon him and be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The purpose in all of this is to direct people to Jesus because that's the mandate of the church, The church that was brought into his being by the Spirit is at its very core missional. And the greatest wonder and sign, the greatest miracle of all, is a life that is changed by Christ. And that's why there's so many prophecies concerning Jesus, particularly his birth, his death, and his resurrection. Okay, a few more quotes before we end. Lloyd Ogilvie again, he said this. The most dynamic one-to-one evangelists in my congregation are those who ask for and receive the gift of prophecy. They do not have canned monologues to bore people. Rather, they know how to listen, to care, to empathize with love. The Spirit gives them insight about what to say, timing for when to say it, boldness to be honest, personal, and incisive in helping people respond. We need to receive this gift. In 1 Corinthians 14, the text will be on there. Paul said, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Then he goes on to talk about the difference between tongues and prophecy. Ephesians 5, the next verse, it'll be on the screen. Paul said, look carefully how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit so that you can speak to one another. And Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody and giving thanks to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter four, the apostles were busy proclaiming the word of the Lord. They were prophesying. They were persecuted because of it. And so what did they do? Did they go hide in a room? No, they gathered to pray so that they could go out again with more boldness. And it says that that they were all, the place that they were gathered together was shaken, Acts 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness, to be prophetic. Francis Chan said this, If I were Satan, my ultimate goal would be to thwart. Oh, sorry, if I were Satan and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Luke 11, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So, let's ask. Are you up for it? Let's stand together. (laughs) An open hand. Receive from the Lord today, if you want to, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I have three streams that I kind of am focused on today. And the first one is this. If you have never called upon the Lord to be saved to receive his indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit, I want to pray for you. And I want you to call upon the name of the Lord today. Today is the day of salvation, Scripture says. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, but respond to him. If you've never verbally called upon the Lord Jesus to be saved, today's your day. Secondly, I want to pray for those who are dry spiritually. Who need a fresh anointing and touch of the Holy Spirit? Are you dry in your soul? Is your life a bit empty? Is it going in the wrong direction? And there needs to be repentance, faith, and trust. I want to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on your life. And third, for those who are believers and who are wanting to get on the program with God, I want to pray for prophetic power, that you would receive the gift of prophecy and that it would be natural for you to open your mouth and declare Jesus to people that you meet every day of the week. So let's just open our hands and close our eyes. And if there's anybody here this morning in Category 1 you've never called upon the name of the Lord, I just want to know who you are. Is there anybody this morning that would like to give their life to Jesus? I want to pray for you. Father, Pour out your spirit now. That those who don't know you in this room would would call upon you and come to know you and put their faith and trust in you, they would be filled with your Holy Spirit and they would begin a brand new life. Speak to them, Lord. Help them to respond to you. Who here this morning is feeling a little bit dry in your spiritual life? Like life isn't going quite so good at the moment I just don't be ashamed just lift your hand I want to pray for you thank you Father pour out your Holy Spirit upon these people who have their hands raised oh God where there's dryness where there is apathy where there is sin I pray that you would bring people to repentance a renewed faith an encouragement and a brand new trust in you a joy like they'd never experienced, Father, would pour out your spirit today on these people. In Jesus' name. Who here this morning would like that prophetic power? You desire the gift of prophecy that you could speak to others more freely. Who would want that? <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for all of these that desire this, this gift, and I pray that you would uh, pour out your Holy Spirit on those who want to speak prophetically for you, that you would give them so much power and so much joy and so much ability that it would come naturally. There would be no fear. And they would be your mouthpiece to a world that desperately needs you. Pour out your spirit, I ask. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you for the blessing of Pentecost. Thank you for your spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stay standing to praise and to worship as we close our time together. And hopefully your lunch didn't burn in the oven.